Well, hey everybody, I'm Adam Shell, the pastor at Melbourne Heights, and welcome to our sermon podcast. In this episode of our podcast, we are starting into a brand new series of sermons called To My Friend Who Left the Faith. And let's be honest, if we really stop and think about it, we all know somebody who left the church because of something that the church either did or did not do for them. So in this series, we're going to be exploring reasons why some of our friends have left our faith. And we're also going to see what we can do to help them rebuild their relationship with God. And this series is going to be preached by our own Joe Noland. So with that, let's get right into this episode sermon. So there will be times where I'm going to be reading certain sections from his book that is written as a letter to his friend, and there are going to be certain times where I'm delivering this as a letter that I've written myself. I know it may feel weird at some points, but I do hope that over the next two weeks that both of these sermons can speak to you guys in some way, and if nothing else, to help you uh, figure out how to reach those that you're struggling with reaching for this very reason. So with that out of the way... We're going to start this morning by reading a very familiar passage out of the book of Luke. And in this particular passage in Luke chapter 15, it is the third parable that Jesus shares with the Pharisees who are getting upset with him because he's eating with sinners. This particular parable is called the parable of the prodigal son. Well, I'm sure we've all heard it before. We're going to read it one more time today. So if you have your Bible, open it up to Luke 15 to follow along. We're starting in verse 11. Here's how that story goes. He also said, a man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate I have come to. So he distributed the assets to him. Not many days later, the younger son gathered together all that he had and traveled to a distant country, where he squandered his estate in foolish living. After he had spent everything, a severe famine struck that country, and he had nothing. Then he went to work for one of the citizens of the country, who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. He longed to eat his fill from the carob pods the pigs were eating, but no one would give him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hands have more than enough food, and here I am dying of hunger. I'll get up, I'll go to my father, and I'll say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired hands. So he got up and went to his father. But while the son was still a long way off, the father saw him come and was filled with compassion. He ran through his arms around his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Father told his slaves, Quick, bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Then bring the fattened cow and slaughter it. And let's celebrate with a feast, because the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. 
Now his older son was in the field, and as he came near the house, he heard the music and the dancing. So he summoned one of the servants and asked what these things meant. Your brother is here, he told them, and your father has slaughtered the fat calf because he has some back safe and sound. And he became angry and didn't want to go in. So his father came out and pleaded with him. But he replied to his father, Look, I have been slaving many years for you, and I have never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came who has devoured your assets with prostitutes, you slaughtered the fat calf for him. Son, he said to him, You are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. We all have friends that we are trying to convince to believe in Jesus. There are those who have walked away from the church and our family, and there are those who never believed in the first place. But there's a third category in all of this story that is left out sometimes. And that category is the one that the brother who stayed fits into. The one who thought that he had everything figured out and couldn't believe that all the work that he had done had gone unappreciated and unnoticed. He forgot, he forgets why he was doing the work in the first place and starts seeking that self-satisfaction. So in a way, the brother who stays becomes just as much of a prodigal son as the one who left to return. Let me explain what I mean when I say that the other brother becomes a prodigal son as well, uh, because normally when we talk about prodigals, we talk about something being excessive and foolish. But we also associate another term with it, uh, the prodigal of the one who kind of run, walks away. And in that way, that's what we're talking about with this older brother and his attitude towards his father. Now to add some context to what's going on here, in ancient Israel, they worked in an honor system. Thus that commandment, you know, honor your father and your mother. Uh, but everything that they did, whether it was uh, to working in the fields, or any wages, even to marry, was to bring honor to the family and to your parents. But the older brother here shows us that in this instance his heart is hardened. He complains about the lengths that his father is willing to go for a son who walked away and brought dishonor on the family. And to be honest, if he had just said that I am upset because you did this for somebody who brought so much dishonor to us, that would have been okay. He would have been completely legitimate in his complaining. See, he goes further by not just saying that you're doing all of this for the brother that left, but then asking, why haven't you done any of this for me? And in doing that, he shows his vanity that he was no longer there to bring honor to his father, but he was there working so that he could get something out of it himself personally. Now, I have a friend in each one of the categories that was mentioned, ones that have left, ones that still don't believe, and some of those who have become like the older brother who decided that instead of doing stuff for others and bringing honor to the church, they've decided to do stuff for themselves and see what they can get out of it. But it wasn't until recently that I could really put into words why I never really seemed to gain any ground with any of them. 
Bearden in his book uh, that we're talking about puts into words what I really could not when it comes to talking about Jesus with others. So in his book, this is what he writes. In the past, I've spoken to you without first letting you know that I heard you. Or even worse, I avoided you because I didn't want to hear you. I only wanted you to hear me. I want to care about you more than I care about walking away from discussion, feeling like I missed you. You're not a goal, an intellectual exercise, or a face. You're my friend. I have a problem when it comes to certain things. I'm sure I'm not alone in this. I get very competitive. As my wife, she will tell you very much so. And I want to win no matter what the game is. But the problem comes is that that competitiveness, it, it leaks into my debates and my discussions with my friends, where it subconsciously becomes more important for me to prove that I'm right than it is for them or for me to hear what they have to say. And it's something that I still struggle with up to this day. And I'd like to say that I'm getting better at it. But to even start to get better at it, I have to first put myself in the right frame of mind going into these discussions. You can ask my wife about that one too, she'll agree. <laughs> but I say this to point out that in my past conversations with my friends, I've never really stopped to listen to their point of view. And that's a problem. And it's one that I'm trying to rectify even now. But I digress just a little on that. The point that I'm trying to make here is that those friends of ours who have left the faith or have reasons why they don't believe in the first place, those reasons come from a legitimate place. And for a lot of people who have left, it comes down to seeing how the church has behaved and doubting that what we're doing in the first place is good. And again, for most of them, that doubt comes from a legitimate place. Either that's something that has happened to them inside of the church or something that they went looking for and were never offered. So at this point of the sermon, this is where it starts to get a little bit different. It's part of a letter that I've actually written to one of my friends. And I've edited out any names or anything, so I don't actually reveal who it is because it might embarrass them. But um, this is part of what I've said. I know you doubt sometimes. I know that you have asked the hard questions and received basic answers like, that's what I believe so you should too. You ask the hard questions both, both looking for answers for your pain and legitimately wanting to know what God had to say about it. And I failed you. I gave you the simple answer in the moment because that's what you say when you, when you lose something. Others in the room, they offered worse answers like, well, God has a plan for this. We sent you into an angry spiral all over again. And honestly, I don't blame you. We've both grown up so much over these last several years, and I hope you can forgive me for my simplicity. And while I still don't have all the answers, I hope that I get to talk to you someday to really hear your side of the story. situations where people ask the hard questions. 
we offer platitudes and condolences, but we never really stop to think about what the answer can be. Part of that reason is, is that thinking is hard. So often as Christians, we don't do it. And thinking is hard, and so often as Christians, we don't do it. We offer the simple answers. We offer the uh, easy answers to either get us out of the situation altogether or because that's how we feel like we should answer. Why do we feel like that? Why do, you not, why do we not seek out Scripture and think before we answer questions with things like, this is what I believe or this is what I'm always told? Some of it comes down to what is called folk theology. And what folk theology is, is being so wrapped up in tradition and uh, our old beliefs that our beliefs and our thoughts become sound more like, my pastor said this, instead of, the Bible teaches this. Now, our pastor is phenomenal. He'll tell you he's great. Uh, but Adam always has an awesome message for us each Sunday. Uh, he brings something each week that we can all relate to in some way. But Adam's not Jesus. And he'll tell you that too. I don't think he'd want to know. But his messages, they start with the Bible. His stories and illustrations are his, or he shares where he gets them from, but the scripture that he uses and the interpretations that he goes for are completely from hear scripture, when we hear sermons or uh, other thoughts of interpreting the Bible, we should be willing to critique what we hear. We should be willing to go further and not just take the word of what is said in the pulpit and for risk of being fired, don't just take what Adam says up here as full truth, but take the time to follow it up with study of your own, to fully understand what the scripture is saying and the lesson that is being conveyed up on the stage. And a lot of us have fallen into being a victim of this folk theology. And if it has, then we have to work to get ourselves out of it, to take the time to actually uh, look into what we're hearing up here. Even with what I'm saying today, I challenge you guys to do that, just to look into it. But it helps us to get out of those easy answers at that point and to start being able to answer some of the harder questions that people have brought to us. We can't get stuck in the same old, that's the way we've always done it, because that line of thinking makes it easy to harden our hearts, and it can lead us to the same issues that the older brother in our parable earlier was dealing with. Now, believe it or not, at this point, we've actually talked about two types of people inside of the church that I told you we're going to talk about today, the ones who have um, left and the ones who are still here their hearts are gone. Um, there is a third one, and that is the one that it's, uh, I get most emotional about, so I apologize ahead of time when I do this, but uh, for the ones who never believe, the prodigals that are still out there and have heard the gospel but still don't believe. One of my best friends is like that, and over the years I've had many conversations with him about Christ, and at first it was very basic. Our first one, uh, we're standing outside of his house in high school, looking up at the stars, and 
At that point, for whatever reason, I decided to take an even aggressive approach to convert him in that moment. It starts with, look at the stars. I mean, how can you not believe that someone created all of this? Jesus made it so all of us could be saved, and he is the only way that you are going to stay out of hell. Yes, I actually believe that. Um, and I want you to believe what I believe. Those are some of the things that I said to him that night. And the problem is that I remember the entire conversation up to this day of what I said. I don't remember what he said. And all I remember is that I almost pushed him too far that night. And I almost lost a friend. Other conversations that I've uh, had with this person, um, had gone until he's letting me know that we're at that point again, usually we stop. And over the last few years, have actually started the conversations with him as, okay, I'm going to talk to you about God again. And even more recently, which is kind of embarrassed about, but only more recently, I really sat down with him to ask, dude, what do you believe? Well, there's something that I didn't realize I haven't done until getting into this book prepare for these sermons over these next two weeks, and that revelation actually comes from reading a piece of scripture a little bit differently. So in 1 Corinthians, there is a passage in chapter 15 where Paul recounts what we believe as Christians. And while I've used that passage to share what we should be believing, I never really stopped asking the question of, why did Paul put this in chapter 15? Why did Paul go through all of this to talk about what happened to a church that knew what was uh, what happened and knew all of it? So to refresh you on what that says, we're going to read in chapter 15, starting in verse 1, 1 Corinthians. And here's what that says. Now, brothers, I want to clarify for you the gospel I have proclaimed to you. You received it and have taken your stand on it. You were also saved by it. If you hold to the message I proclaim to you, unless you believe for no purpose. For I pass on to you as most important what I also received. That Christ died for our sins according to scriptures. That he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. And that he appeared to Cephas and to the twelve. That he appeared to over five hundred brothers at one time. Most of them are still alive, but some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then all to the, the apostles. Last of all, as to one abnormally born, he also appeared to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by God's grace I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not ineffective. However, I worked more than any of them, yet not I, but God's grace that was with me. Therefore, whether it is I or they, so we proclaim, and so you have believed. Paul isn't just recounting what happened and what we believe. Paul was helping the Corinthian church understand the history of what happened. He made it believable by referencing the scripture and the record of what was written about Jesus' life. You see, not just defend the faith. 
have to show them how it's believable. We can't just defend our faith. We have to show them how it is believable. I mean, it isn't enough to say that Jesus died and resurrected, because if that is all we had, we would sound a little bit crazy. I mean, think of it this way. Somebody comes up to you and go, hey, you know that Bobby got down and died the other day? Yeah, it turns out he's not dead anymore. No, he came in the house the other day and covered in dirt and saying, honey, I'm home. It's across a little bit crazy. But if we take the time to explain how Jesus died, how Jesus was resurrected, if we can explain the events that followed and the eyewitness accounts that happened, then the story, the event of Jesus' death and his his resurrection, becomes a little bit more real. Becomes a little bit more believable. And it's in that of sharing the history of the story of it where our faith is defended. We show the people that how our faith is intertwined with other fields of study like psychology and health, history and anthropology. We present where the Bible intersects with other cultures and histories and their records. And we show them that our faith our belief that Jesus died and he rose again, that it's more believable than it was before. That's not just about a guy who decided to get up after three days of being dead to save us, that there's a lot more to it than just that. See, it doesn't matter if we think that Christianity is great, if we think that the church is the best thing in the world. Because for those outside the church, those who have left the church, them, it comes down to, is it true or not? Now, I believe that Jesus rose from the dead. I believe that the story of Jesus is true. You see, we can't convince people just by telling them what we believe. In the story of the prodigal son that we started this morning with, neither brother could have been convinced by the other one to either stay or go. No conversation, no argument would have kept the younger brother from running away or kept the older brother from going with the younger brother, of staying and not going with the younger brother. Neither of them could change the other. But it was the father's willingness to accept and forgive the younger brother for everything that he had done. And his forgiveness and his love that he shows towards the other brother, older brother, after we find out what the brother's heart really held. So if we ever want anyone to hear what we believe, we have to be willing to listen to them too. And we have to treat them with the same love and forgiving spirit the father of those sons showed them and that our father shows us. Let's pray. God, we spend so much time trying to have our voices heard. Help us instead to learn to listen to what others have to say and help us to hear what others think so that we can be a light in their life. Keep our hearts focused on, on you so that we don't become like the older brother who forgot what the work was all about in the first place. And help us to present Jesus to others in a way that expresses how wonderful he really is and how true the story is. We have guiding life.
for us all and for those that we come in contact with, and please be by our side as we walk your path. Thank you for your love and your forgiveness and your grace in all things. It is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Well, hey, it's Adam again, and I just want to thank you for tuning in to this episode of our sermon podcast. And I hope that this message has reminded you of how you as a follower of Jesus should treat people who have left the faith or just outside of our faith. Because a lot of times we act like that older brother in the story of the prodigal son. We get upset. We get angry when God shows his grace and his compassion and his love to others when we have been faithful all along. But the truth is that we need to remember that God has shown us that same amount of grace and love, and we need to show that to other people as well. Well, that ends this episode, but next week we're going to continue on in the series called To My Friend Who Left the Faith, and we're going to continue to talk about what we can do to reach people who have left the church. So I hope that you'll come back and join us when our next episode drops next Tuesday morning. As always, if you subscribe to our podcast, that episode will be sent straight to your favorite podcasting app. But you don't have to wait till Tuesday morning to join us for worship. We would love to have you come and be a part of our worship service, either in person or online every Sunday morning. If you're in the Louisville area, you can join us in person. If not, you can worship with us online at mhbclouisville.com slash live. Well, until next time, I hope that you have a great week. I will be praying for you, and we'll see you back here soon for another sermon podcast.